Hear now the word of the Lord, Psalm 10, as we prepare to hear this taught from Jeremy in just a moment. This is the word of the Lord, Psalm 10. Why, O Lord, do you stand far away? Why do you hide yourselves in time of trouble? In arrogance, the wicked hotly pursue the poor. Let them be caught in the schemes that they have devised. For the wicked boasts of the desires of his soul, and the one greedy for gain curses and renounces the Lord. In the pride of his face, the wicked does not seek him. All his thoughts are, quote, there is no God, end quote. His ways prosper at all times. Your judgments are on high, out of his sight. As for all his foes, he puffs at them. He says in his heart, I shall not be moved throughout all generations. I shall not meet adversity. His mouth is filled with cursing and deceit and oppression. Under his tongue are mischief and iniquity. He sits in ambush in the villages and hiding places. He murders the innocent. His eyes stealthily watch for the helpless. He lurks in ambush like a lion in his thicket. He lurks that he may seize the poor. He seizes the poor when he draws him into his net. The helpless are crushed, sink down, and fall by his might. He says in his heart, God has forgotten. He has hidden his face. He will never see it. Arise, O Lord. O God, lift up your hand. Forget not the afflicted. Why does the wicked renounce God and say in his heart, quote, you will not call to account? But you do see, for you note mischief and vexation, that you may take it into your hands. To you, the helpless commits himself. You have been the helper of the fatherless. Break the arm of the wicked and the evildoer. Call his wickedness to account till you find none. The Lord is king forever and ever. The nations perish from his land. O Lord, you hear the desire of the afflicted. You will strengthen their heart. You will incline your ear to do justice to the fatherless and the oppressed so that man who is of the earth may strike terror no more. This is the word of the Lord. So this time, would you please welcome Jeremy? Uh, warmly welcome him as he's coming from a long distance away. Can't wait to hear the word. Good morning. Uh, first off, I would like to thank you all. Uh, we were here first. Uh, we, we recognize uh, a good number of you. We were here about almost exactly three years ago. Uh, so 4th of July weekend, 2019. And I just want to say that we have really appreciated your continuous prayers and your care for us. You've sent us gifts for when our two children were born. Um, uh, you you pr uh, support us financially and we just um, we know that you're continuously praying for us and we we really can't express how thankful we are for that we we really really appreciate it um, and yeah so so thank you um, when when Stephen mentioned that you guys were, were going through the Psalms uh, this summer or just picking out some different Psalms and he asked me which one I would like to preach on I wasn't sure at first and so I read through a good number of them and I came upon Psalm 10 and uh, it's not the most um, uh, maybe cheerful of Psalms uh, certainly not the first two-thirds or so 
but for whatever reason, it stuck out to me. Well, I think I know the reason, and we'll get to that in a little bit. But it did stick out to me. And when I, when I read it for the first time, it reminded me of the 2016 film Silence. This is uh, Martin Scorsese's film about two Portuguese Jesuit priests who are tasked with going to... Thank you. Uh, they are tasked with going to um, Japan and they are searching for a priest who had disappeared and who had supposedly apostatized. And they couldn't believe that he had actually turned away from God. And uh, so they were out to find him and they were also tasked with bringing the gospel to different villages in Japan. And uh, Japan at the time, I believe it's the 16th century, they were extremely antagonistic towards Christianity. So they would torture uh, people coming with the gospel, they would torture those who converted to believe uh, the gospel. And so this was no easy task. And I, I will just add that this is an extremely difficult movie to watch. So uh, I, I'm not necessarily recommending it, uh, but it's quite an interesting movie. And at one point, the, the two priests, they're discovered by, by the, uh, the authorities. And so they're taken prisoner and instead of being tortured themselves, they're forced to watch the converts, uh, the Japanese converts, the people they had led to, to faith in the gospel, be tortured, uh, which for them was way worse. They would have preferred, they asked, they begged to be tortured themselves rather than witness the, the torture of, of these new believers. And at one point, the one priest, he wonders aloud, um, Surely God heard their prayers as they died, but did he hear their screams? God is there, but does he care about the welfare of his people? Is God listening? That's the question he asked. And by the end of the movie, uh, it's originally a book, but uh, he, he concludes probably not. And he and the other priest both end up uh, apostatizing as well. They renounce Christ. And so uh, that quote came to me and this film came to me as I read through Psalm 10 because the first two thirds or so of the Psalm are kind of wondering that aloud is, where are you, God? We can see these terrible things happening all across Israel, across the world. And you say you're a God of justice, but where, where are you? Where is the justice? And so the Czech Republic, the country where we now live and the country where Svati is from, uh, it has quite a complicated history when it comes to Christianity. It has been a quote-unquote Christian nation for over a thousand years now. But in the 15th century, or really 14th century into the 15th century, the Catholic Church had become quite corrupt. And so if you were to be a Christian in the city of Prague, where we now live, uh, most likely you would go to Mass once a week. You would hear the Bible read and a, a sermon or something preached in Latin. And you most likely would not have understood Latin. You were not allowed to hear the gospel preached in your own language of Czech. Uh, you were uh, not allowed to hear the Bible uh, read in your language. It was illegal to translate into the Czech language. You also probably were uh, forced to pay certain fees in order to have sins forgiven. Uh, and throughout this time, most of the priests were getting quite wealthy through manipulating the poor, uh, manipulating the peasants to get them to pay more and more fees in order to uh, 
come to church, have their sins forgiven, uh, that type of thing. They also were not even allowed to participate fully in communion. Only the priests could drink the wine. The, the regular peasants, the, the workers who came in, they could only eat the bread. They were not considered um, holy enough to, to partake of the wine as well. And eventually they started pushing back against this and thousands of them were killed. Uh, and what happened was through the 16th, 17th and 18th centuries, there were centuries of oppression. Many fled to Germany. Uh, some eventually fled to the States. Uh, even it came as missionaries to the States, to Native Americans. Uh, and uh, it was not a time where it was great to be a faithful Christian uh, because the church was so corrupt at this time. And so again, you can see through these hundreds of years, uh, did God hear their screams? Where was God when all this was taking place? When even the church was corrupt, the kings uh, plotted against them. Uh, you can see this again in the 20th century when communism reigned in the Czech Republic, and or sorry, Czechoslovakia. And again, they were not allowed to fully uh, live out their faith as, as Christians. And the world has countless stories such as these, but today, and I think why this psalm stuck out to me, uh, I can think of a, a very big example where we see something extremely unjust happening, and we wonder, God, why, why are you allowing this to happen? Uh, currently in the Czech Republic, there are 400,000 Ukrainian refugees. The Czech Republic is not a large country. There's only about 10 and a half million people. 400,000 is a lot of people in such a small country. And I'm sure uh, I see behind me the Ukrainian flag. I'm assuming that's up there because of uh, the specs. And I know they've had to flee the country. I'm assuming they know many people who have had to flee the country. And they can tell you about a lot more suffering there than I can. And I'm sure many of these Ukrainian Christians are wondering, God, why are you allowing this to happen? Why are you ha allowing this evil, um, this evil man in Russia invade our country, hurt the poor, hurt us. They, they don't allow us to worship freely. Um, we're forced to flee. Why, why are you allowing this to happen? And it's not wrong for a Christian to have these thoughts when they suffer or see suffering around them. Uh, I think we can see it's not wrong because it's part of, in part of our Bible. David wrote this Psalm and he saw the evil around him. Um, and he asked God these very questions. And here's just some of the evils he lists uh, that he sees. Uh, he's describing the wicked here, the wicked man and the wicked hurt the poor. They curse God and they say there is no God. They murder the innocent. They crush the poor. They boast that God has forgotten and will not see their evil deeds. This is a very wicked person that he's, he's um, describing here in the early parts of Psalm 10. And, and I think it's safe to assume that uh, Putin, uh, he either doesn't believe in God or he believes he'll get away with this. He's so arrogant and, and um, believes in himself so much that he, he truly thinks um, he will get away with what he's doing, which includes persecuting Christians in his own country. Uh, David Kidner, in his commentary on Psalm 10, writes that this wicked person being described is a practicing atheist, even if he isn't a fully convinced one. He's someone who worships his own desires and views the defenseless as his natural prey. This, again, just it reminds me specifically of, of what's going on in Ukraine and Russia now.
Psalm 10 actually is quite closely connected to Psalm 9. It's almost the second part of Psalm 9. Uh, Psalm 9 talks, uh, it's a bit more cheerful. It talks of God's justice and care for the downtrodden. But Psalm 10 kind of, uh, at least the first part, it, it writes and sings from our experience. It's almost written from our experience as someone here on earth who sees evil, we see wickedness, and yet we, we wonder why it's allowed to happen. Uh, and we know that the Bible says that God is just, but it often feels that the wicked are getting away with it. They're able to oppress and harm others without any consequences. Consequences. Um, but this psalm shows that God, God does take seriously our feelings and our, our perspective when it comes to these issues. Uh, this was probably David's experience as he wrote this. He was at times facing wickedness outside of Israel, other nations that sought to destroy Israel. Um, but he also sought to, uh, um, he uh, had enemies within Israel. Uh, and some uh, commentators actually believe that this psalm is specifically written about certain wealthy Israelites who uh, did not follow uh, the law. They did not follow God's ways and persecuted other Israelites, actually. This psalm spends a significant amount of time discussing the idea that God is hiding during times of trouble, that God is letting the wicked get away with their evil. So why do we have psalms like this? And uh, how can it be instructive for us today? So most commentators believe that this psalm is actually used as a prayer for the people of Israel. It was the responsibility of faithful Israelites to pray this prayer on a regular basis or sing this song. So David was the king of Israel, and it was his job to ensure that Israel was a just nation to the best of his ability, that they followed God's ways, that they cared for the, the weak among them. They cared for the poor, the orphans, the widows, and that they, they uh, justly punished those who sought to break the law and sought to take advantage of others. But for most Israelites, they couldn't do much about that. Most Israelites, they were farmers, they were fishermen. They couldn't uh, go about uh, taking down wealthy people who oppressed others. But they did have a responsibility. And their responsibility was to pray for their king, pray that he would be a just king, and that he would be protected. And it was their job uh, to pray that uh, this justice would uh, come about. And uh, so they're called to live faithfully and justly in their own small ways, uh, but they're also called to pray for justice as a whole in their nation. It was kind of a way to corporately participate in the, the faithfulness of the nation as a whole and with the kingship of David. And one of the reasons they did this, one of the reasons they, they stuck to sing, uh, singing this song or praying this prayer is because they truly did believe that God listened and that God cared. And we'll see that in the, in the later part of the psalm. And so we don't live in Israel. We, we, um, we don't even have a king. But that doesn't mean that today we can't uh, still use a psalm like this as instructive for us. That we still can't um, pray psalms like this today. And so I want to look at some of, the, some of the examples I mentioned earlier throughout history and, and show you some of the ways they participated in uh, faithfully following God, even when it looked like he wasn't listening. I mentioned those two priests in the movie Silence. They came to the conclusion that God didn't listen, and they apostatized. They turned away from the gospel. But we do believe that 
uh, when, when the one priest asked, he hears their prayers, but does he hear their screams? We do believe that God hears those who are crying out in pain and suffering. Yeah, we believe that God listens. And one check uh, during this time when the, the church was oppressing uh, people throughout the land and taking advantage of people, uh, he believed that God listened and he sought to live faithfully. His name was Jan Hus. Uh, you might know him as John Huss. That's his more German name and English name. And in the 15th century, he saw all of this taking place. He was a priest and he decided he would do things differently. So at his church, Bethlehem Chapel, uh, still in the center of Prague, you can go visit it. I actually somehow have not been inside. I've walked around it about a thousand times, but I've never been inside. Um, he decided to do things differently. So he, even as a priest, he decided he would stop making, making the people who came to confess, who came to um, worship at his chapel, he wouldn't take um, fees, charge funds to them. Instead, he would gather money as a church from those who are able to give and address the needs of the people who came to visit him. Again, these were, these were very poor peasants, many of them coming to, to worship at this church. He also decided he wasn't going to preach in Latin. He knew it was completely useless for his people if he stood up there and preached in Latin because only he would understand what he was saying. He decided to preach in Czech, uh, which was the language they would have understood. It was the language of the common person. He also allowed uh, every single believer to come and drink the wine during communion. He knew that he wasn't any more holy than the rest of the believers in the congregation. And so they could fully participate in the communion as well. They could eat the bread and drink the wine. Uh, and eventually he took this even further and he started speaking out publicly against the other churches who were taking advantage of the poor. And um, uh, he called for change in these churches. And so other churches started to follow. Other churches, especially in the Prague area, realized, uh, you know what, he's right. We need to return to the true gospel. We need to take care of those around us. And this eventually led, unfortunately, to him um, being called to a trial and he was found guilty for heresy. The heresy being that he uh, preached in the Czech language. He allowed the laity to drink the wine um, and uh, he was burned at the stake. However, this movement wasn't snuffed out and many people followed him and they started spreading across the country, fleeing into Germany, and they remained faithful even though they were persecuted. Um, and sometimes they were persecuted harsher than others, um, but pretty much for 300 years, they, they roamed across Europe, going to wherever they could freely worship and have the gospel preached in Czech and um, allow the believers to to all the believers to, to drink the wine and communion. This movement lasted so long that it's actually the, the start of the denomination we're a part of today in Czech. Our church, its roots are in this, this movement of faithful Christians living out their, their um, what they believe the gospel to be. And um, this, I think, for, for a movement like this to take place, they really have to have a deep faith that God is listening to them when they suffer. And I believe that was true for many of the Israelites. I believe that was true of David. And I believe that was true of these Czech Christians. Uh, and, and the psalm teaches us that. 
uh, verse 10 of, uh, sorry, verse 14 of Psalm 10 shows that uh, God does care for those who suffer. After all, God had taken his people out of uh, Egypt and he had given them the promised land. Verse 14 says, to you, the helpless commits himself. You have been the father of the fatherless. He's already done this time and time again. And we see that throughout the, the entire Old Testament. Um, they, and, and they believe what they saw in verse 16. The Lord is king forever and ever. The nations perish from his land. O Lord, you hear the desire of the afflicted. You will strengthen their heart. You will incline your ear to do justice to the fatherless and the oppressed. So that man who is of the earth may strike terror no more. They knew that God is everlasting, uh, but everything else on this earth fades. These, the, the powerful nations that were oppressing Israel, the wealthy Israelites who were unfaithful and persecuted other Israelites, the nation of Babylon, the nation of Assyria, uh, Rome, which persecuted the early church, all of these nations faded away. Uh, the Austro-Hungarian Empire and the corrupt uh, church that was associated with it, it's, it's no longer still persecuting believers across Czech and across Europe. Um, Hitler, he's gone. He, he also took over Czech for a while and persecuted the church. Stalin and the other communist uh, leaders of uh, the USSR who came in and oppressed, oppressed the Czech people as well, they're gone. And one day Putin, who currently is oppressing uh, the people of Ukraine, oppressing believers in his own nation, causing millions of people to flee, he will also one day be gone and he will call, be called to account for, for his wicked deeds and for the people he's, he's killed in Ukraine. So even today, uh, while it may not seem that God listens, uh, we know he does. We've seen it in the history of Israel. We've seen, we, we are called to, to believe this and to, uh, in these times of darkness, pray uh, for him to come and bring about justice. But we also know that even when we do not see it fully realized in our lifetime, that uh, one day there will be um, a complete full justice with coming with God's kingdom. And we know this better than David and the Israelites did because we live after the time of Christ. They were looking forward to the future king who would come and bring full peace to, to the world, um, but we know that God has already come and he has already proved himself that he listens and that he is not indifferent. He sent his son who already began the work of ushering in his kingdom. We know it's not fully realized because there still remains uh, suffering across the globe. We still, see, we still see wicked people who seek to crush the faithful and the weak. However, today we are ambassadors of, of this kingdom. We point to the cross of Christ, that he died um, for the sins of the world, and that he rose again, conquering death. And we know that one day he will come back and bring an ultimate peace to the world. But today we're called to live faithfully in our community. So I really appreciated Stephen's prayers earlier as he prayed passionately for the city of Salem. One of the things we appreciate so much about uh, First Baptist Church here in Salem is it cares about the world, clearly by how many missionaries you support, such as us, um, but it also really cares, deeply cares about its community here in Salem. And um, uh, uh, there was something Stephen prayed to gate today, and, and it reminded me of a verse in Jeremiah that I'm blanking on the, 
the actual um, the actual verse or the, the citation, but it, it calls the people of Israel who are exiled in Babylon to seek the welfare of their city. They were, they were taken captive. They were not in their own place. This right here in Salem, it is not the uh, kingdom of God here. However, you as First Baptist Salem, you are representatives, you are ambassadors of the kingdom of God here in Salem. And so you seek the flourishing, the welfare of Salem. And so I, I, I greatly appreciated that time of prayer earlier, and I greatly appreciate that vision that your church has. That's something that we we want in our church in Prague as well. We are, we're a church that seeks the welfare of Prague, which, like Salem, is a quite unchristian city. There are not many Christians there. Um, and so we're able to take this gospel that Christ has already come, he has died, he has risen, and he will come again, and we can take that to those who do not believe, and we can take it to the city, we can take it across the globe. And I just want to end with some examples of what I think Psalm 10 can look like today. And I'm going to give you some examples from our church in the Czech Republic, our church in Prague, as to what we're doing. And I don't think any of them thought, oh, this is like what I think Psalm 10 is calling us to do. But I do think it is what Psalm 10 is calling us to do. First, every Sunday, we pray. Uh, towards the beginning of our service, since the war has begun in Ukraine, we have a time of prayer where we specifically uh, pray for the war in Ukraine. We pray that Putin will, uh, Putin will be saved, that he will, have, uh, a time, uh, he will repent of his evil deeds and come to know Jesus. But we also pray that the war will end, that uh, these 400,000 people who are in Czech the millions who are in Poland, that they'll be able to return to their homes uh, and that this war will end. Uh, we also have a time of prayer during the service for our own communities in Prague. However, we do have small capabilities and small abilities of things that we're able to do. We're not world leaders. We can't bring sanctions against Putin. However, our church does own its own building, which isn't always common in the Czech Republic. And it's, it's quite an old building with quite a few apartments in it. And so we happen to have two open apartments in our building. And now there are two Ukrainian families living in that church building. It's not much. That's only eight people, but it's something. And uh, just as the Israelites were called to live faithfully, they were called to live justly. We tried to do our small part and we pray that God will do uh, a bigger part. We pray that the, the nations, that um, the the uh, European Union or America will do larger things, uh, which they have done in um, bringing an end to this war. And um, that's, that's what I believe Psalm 10 can look like today. In our prayers, we can mourn the evil taking place and we call for God to end the wickedness, knowing that he listens to us, knowing that one day Jesus will return and ultimately bring peace and, and a, uh, a fully just kingdom to earth. Um, but all this we do recognizing that God is king and that, uh, that um, uh, we rest in the gospel. We rest in the idea that Christ has already died and that he has already risen and he will come again. Let me pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for uh, this opportunity to be here with the church in Salem, with First Baptist. I thank you so much for the faithfulness of these believers here, their faithfulness to you, to the gospel, and bringing it to the city of Salem. 
their faithfulness to really caring for their city here and also for cities across the globe. Um, whether it's to missionaries in the Muslim world, uh, missionaries like the Specs in Ukraine, missionaries like us in Prague, we, we thank you for that passionate um, love of the gospel being spread across the globe. We pray that you will uh, remind us as we go about our lives to pray for justice, pray that you will bring an end to suffering across the world, whether it's um, suffering here in Salem or suffering in places such as Ukraine. Uh, we also pray that you will show us how we can do our part, even if it's small, and that won't, we won't be ashamed if it's small, um, but we will still live out faithfully, recognizing that ultimately uh, you have already sent your son who has died for us, and we thank you for that. And in Jesus' name, amen.